Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, as we have gathered together to worship you for taking on our human flesh and redeeming us, we ask you to bless the words of our sermon that we may not only stand in awe at the miraculous work of your incarnation, life, death, and resurrection, but also boast in it to the unbelieving world around us. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Great are the deeds of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic is his work and his righteousness stands forever. He has set up a memorial to his wonders. Gracious and compassionate is the Lord. He gives food to those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has declared the power of his deeds to his people to give them the nations as their possession. The work of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are trustworthy, steadfast forever and ever, done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption for his people. He commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who do his precepts have good understanding. His praise stands forever. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this psalm begins and ends with praise for God's work and his wisdom. Today, we see his great work in that the word, Jesus Christ, became flesh. True God became true man. And the word that's used the most for praising the Lord in this psalm actually includes boasting. Now, this isn't arrogance because you're not boasting in yourself. You're not just saying, look at God, isn't he great? You're saying, look at how totally great God is. This is the only God. And I think there's no better example of that than when Simeon holds the baby Jesus in his hands and says, in peace, I can now depart. I've seen my Savior. And so today our sermon theme is boast in the incarnation of the Lord. Now this psalm looks at a lot of the works of the Lord, but we're going to really narrow that down to God taking on human flesh. And so our text begins, boastfully praise the Lord. I will give thanks with all my heart together with the counsel of the upright and specifically the congregation. You cannot be upright in God's eyes unless he has put his Holy Spirit in your heart so that you have faith. You can boast in the Lord with those fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, members of the congregation, because Christ has taken on human flesh. He has sent the Holy Spirit into your heart so that you believe that that baby lying in a cattle feed trough is no normal baby. You know that that is God who has come to be your righteousness. And so our text continues, the works of the Lord are great. They are studied by all who delight in them. There's a mouthful to be said about studying in God taking on human flesh. As John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It continues to tell us that through him, all things were made and apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. But you know, when we study that miracle of God taking on human flesh, throughout the history of the Christian church, there have been people who screwed it up. Take, for example, Arius, who taught that Jesus was created by the Father and then became a human being. Well, then Jesus is lying when he tells the the Pharisees and that before Abraham was, I am. 
If Jesus was created, then we can't trust the scriptures because he would have had to create himself because as John chapter one says, everything was made through him. Not one thing that was made was made apart from him. Along came people who said, well, Jesus is true God and true man, but the two natures are so separated. They're kind of like boards of wood glued together, but you, they, the two never really work together then it's not God who dies for you and I. Because as true man, he could die. As true God, he couldn't die. But yet as true God, his death covers all of your sins. And so by studying the word, we come to understand that those two natures are in inseparable communication with each other. Ah, but another person came along in the early Christian church and said, it's like you took God nature and man nature and put them in a blender. He came out with something new. But if Jesus is something different, then he's not a man. And if he's not a man and he's not God, then he can't be our substitute. Certainly we can overthink these things, can't we? But there really is a miracle just in looking at how God takes on human flesh and how all of it applies specifically to your salvation. What a beautiful act of grace it is. And so we delight in this wonderful miracle that God becomes a man to redeem you. Verse 3 says, His work is splendor and majesty and His righteousness stands forever. Christ became a man so that He could be righteous in your and my place. He had to live perfectly in our place. He had to suffer temptation like you and I do but he never fell to it because he is true God. And because he is true man, he could be our substitute and credit you with his righteousness forever. And with his blood, he can wash your sins away so that you stand before God blameless and pure. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, not just at Christmas, but every day of our lives, we boast in the incarnation of our Lord. It is a miraculous work. And we gather together to encourage each other with that. And we gather together as a congregation. God wants us to, that we can edify each other. And that's important to remember. Because in times like this COVID virus, we certainly want to be good stewards with what we know about this virus. But we have brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world who worry to the point as if they, they forget that there is a God. As if Jesus died and never rose from the tomb. It's wonderful for us to gather together and encourage each other and remind each other that God became a man, that he lived in our place, he died in our place, and he rose, that we have life in him, and he is ruling over all creation as someone who has taken on human flesh, who understands your misery, your pain, and your suffering, and your joys. Yes, boast in the incarnation of the Lord. It is a miraculous work. Verse 4 continues, He has made a memorial for His wondrous works. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. I want to focus on the miracle of God becoming man. We've been focusing on the fact that it's our righteousness and salvation, but this is a gracious and compassionate act of God. He didn't have to suffer hunger pains for Himself. He did it in His grace and compassion so that now you have a very understanding God. He understands temptation. He understands our sorrows. 
Because he has grace and compassion for you. Verse 5 says, he gives food to those who hold him in reverence. Now the Hebrew word there is actually fear. But the Hebrew word for fear is not the same as the English word for fear, although they do overlap. The English word for fear is, ah, I saw something and it scared me. But for believers, that word means something different. For unbelievers, one way or the other, one day they will stand before a God who took on human flesh and he'll say, I lived and died for you and you hated me. You rejected me. And they will tremble in fear. But for those of us who trust in him as our Savior, whom he's given faith, whom he's made his children, that fear means something completely different. It's like a child who has a very loving father. A loving father who puts a roof over their head and feeds them and takes time to be with them. And yet that child also knows there are times that dad's going to discipline them. Out of love for them, he's going to discipline them. But they do not like daddy's discipline, do they? So there is a reverent awe and yet there's a fear of daddy's disciplining hand, just like we fear God's disciplining hand but it's one that also understands it's for our own good. And so you and I look at our daily needs and we go, certainly God who has suffered hunger pains for us is ruling for us and he continues to give us the health and fills our needs. And when he's taken our health away, he has reasons for that and he will find other ways to provide for our needs. So we look at his gracious and compassionate act of taking on human flesh and we understand even in the things that we think of as hardships in this life, he's providing for us and he's working for us. And so we're told he continually remembers his covenant forever. Here is the great act of grace and compassion. There are two covenants in the Bible. The first one is the biggest one. That was made with Adam and Eve after the fall, that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Jesus would take on human flesh and save us. Now, sometime later, a covenant is made at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 with Israel. And that was a law-oriented covenant. That covenant was, if you guys follow all my, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the civil and ceremonial laws, if you follow all of them, I will protect you and keep the other nations away from you. I will send rain in this land. will flow with milk and honey for you. But if you break it, you've got your end of the deal, then I'll lift my hand of protection. Generation after generation, for over a thousand years, broke the covenant. And God finally in his patience said, enough. Like when you make a two-sided deal with the bank, they loan you the money for your house. If you never make your payments, finally the bank says, enough, we're taking your house from you. That was a law-oriented covenant. And Christians even get confused with that. And they think, as long as we do our part, God hasn't made that covenant with us, then he's going to save us. But the covenant that saves us, that's the one made with Adam and Eve. And that's the one that is defined the most clearly in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And God even does the work of your belief because he sends somebody to share the word with you and then he sends the Holy Spirit through that word to create and sustain your faith. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So you can be confident your salvation is completely in God's hands. He's given you the faith and His Word creates it and sustains it because of God's grace and compassion. 
And so we're told he continuously remembers his covenant forever. God made a promise to save you and he's not going to break his end of that deal. Verse 6 says, He has made the power of His work known to His people in order to give them an inheritance which is the nations. Israel has not conquered the world, but spiritual Israel has. Look around, find one country where there isn't at least one Christian to be found. God in His grace and compassion gives you the privilege of sharing with your family, your friends, and your neighbors, and yes, through your offerings, sending missionaries in your place to people you will never meet to share the good news of God's covenant. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so we boast in the incarnation of the Lord. It is a miraculous work, but it is a work of God's grace and compassion. Verse 6 continues... He has made the power of his works known to his people in order to give them an inheritance, which is the nations. Now, I've already covered that you get to share it. But do you know the greatest way that God has made it known? He inspired people with the Holy Spirit to write it down in his word. And you and I are blessed to live in a time when that word is readily available. You can stay the night in a hotel and find it in a drawer there in the nightstand. You can buy it at, at, at department stores for, for a couple of dollars. It's so, and you can go to the internet and search it out for free. So we're told the works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are trustworthy. Wow. How many times have we got conflicting information from the media and different government agencies and scientists and everything on just this virus alone. How many times do we hear spin? Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate said, what is truth? But here in the word of God and God's precepts, we find truth. Truth that you and I could not save ourselves. Truth that God is hidden, and yet He is that baby lying in the cattle feed trough. He is that man hanging on the cross. He is the man who empties the tomb. God's truth is that we need a Savior, and we have a Savior. God's truth is He gives us the faith to believe, even in the harshest of circumstances, that God understands, doesn't enjoy our going through those hard times, and He's using them for our good and the good of His congregation, the Christian church. So they are steadfast forever and ever. They are done in truth and uprightness. God's holiness doesn't change. God isn't going to turn around a couple days before he returns and go, and go, you know, this whole by grace thing, this whole my son did all the work, it's, it's not working out. Let's change that. Now you have to climb Mount Everest with a donkey on your back. God has told you what holiness is and it doesn't change. God has told us how he has saved you and it doesn't change. God has promised to save you and he's not going to change on that. We're told he sent a ransom for his people. That's Jesus. Jesus has redeemed us from our slavery to sin, death, and the devil. And the scriptures spell that out for us and constantly nourish our faith. He has commanded his covenant forever. His name is holy and held in reverence. What's the name that was given to Jesus? Jesus. That is from the Hebrew word that means Savior. All of God's names tell us what he does for you. And the name Jesus tells you God saved you. 
Whether we're talking about the Old Testament term Messiah or the New Testament term Christ, it's telling you he's the only one that was anointed to be your savior. And that's important because you've got to tell your sinful nature that over and over again. It says God won't forgive you. Be quiet. You're not the one God anointed to be my savior. God himself anointed his son to be my savior. And so you and I hold his name in reverence because this is true God who became true man. He is our savior. And so verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And again, that's the same word that we could translate reverence for the Lord. A scientist may do things that find cures for viruses and stuff. But if he's an unbeliever, he misses the point of it all. I listen to psychologists who have helped people and they always say, evolution has programmed us. You've just made evolution have intelligence. No, God has put something in us. When you see that child in the manger, when you see that man on the cross as your savior, suddenly you understand, I am a sinner. Everything makes sense. This world is subject to decay because of sin so that we don't get attached to this. But in God, we find love, grace, forgiveness, compassion. And so we're told good understanding comes to all who do them. You cannot do God's precepts unless his Holy Spirit is in your heart, which gives you faith that Jesus is your savior, who gives you the new man and washes your sin away. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, boast in the incarnation of the Lord. It is revealed in his word. You won't find it anywhere else. Study all creation with a microscope all your life. You will not find the most important truth that God has become a man to save you. Simeon held that child in his Lord, boasting in peace, I can depart this life according to God's word. And you, by living your life, by coming around the word and by living around your friends, family and neighbor and sharing the word, you are boasting in the incarnation of our Lord. It is a miraculous work. It is a work of grace and compassion for you, and it is revealed in his word. Amen. Let us conclude our sermon with prayer. Praise belongs to you, our God, because you have fulfilled your promises to your people Israel in the incarnation of your son and sent the light of your truth to our fathers when they were walking in ignorance of you. Grant us steadfastly to trust your covenant of grace that we may live therein. Make your works of mercy and truth known to our children that they may praise your name in generations to come. Amen. We confess our faith using the words of the Christmas Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, who sent his Son as my Savior on Christmas Day, born of the Virgin Mary, announced by the angels, worshipped by the shepherds, adored by the wise men, who lived to suffer, die, and rise again, to free us from sin, death, and the power of the devil. I believe in the Holy Spirit, who has brought me to faith in the Christ of Christmas, and by whose continuous work in my heart I am ever led to lay before the feet of Christ the treasures of my love and live under him as my king, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that your advent as our Savior was foretold by men of old. 
We believe that in your lowly birth of the Virgin Mary, the scriptures have been fulfilled, and that you, the very Son of God, through whom all things were created, assumed human form. We believe that you came here in lowliness as the Paschal Lamb of God to bear our sins in your own body on the cross and to suffer and die there for us. Is not this a wonder that the earth played host to her creator and that you who are eternal were born a tiny infant? Is not this a wonder that you who are rich with all the fullness of power and majesty as God became poor, that through the poverty of your humiliation you might make us everlastingly rich? O Jesus, Son of God and Savior of mankind, who you are and what you did in our behalf fills us with holy awe and wonder and deserves our continual praise. When Simeon held you in his arms, he recognized you with great joy as the long-awaited Savior, the light of the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Filled with peace and joy, he was ready to depart this life, an heir of heaven, saved by grace through faith. Like Simeon of old, we too rejoice to know you as our Savior from sin. Establish our hearts forever in the truth that your perfect sacrifice has purchased pardon and peace from God for us. Keep us ready at all times to depart this life with joy, confident in the assurance that you have redeemed us with your blood. Send the bright rays of your gospel into hearts everywhere and by the Holy Spirit quicken them with a living faith in you as their personal savior. Direct also the governments of the world so that people everywhere may worship and serve you without fear of persecution. Grant that those who have been brought to faith will remain constant in the faith and obtain everlasting life. We ask you, O Lord, to remember our brothers and sisters to whom trials and troubles have come. We especially ask you to be with our brothers and sisters who have contracted the COVID virus. Keep them in your loving care and give them the healing they need. We ask you to bless the vaccines and put this virus in remission that we may gather with the full assembly of our brothers and sisters in our congregation once again. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Direct our footsteps in this new year by your holy word and help us by your love to lead lives that conform to your holy will. Hear us, O Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.